You're listening to sermons from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church, please visit our website at gcceugene.org. Well, welcome. Good morning. My name is Ronnie. I'm one of the elders here at Gospel Community Church. It's good to see so many familiar faces worshiping God together again with family. If you're a guest or just visiting, we're glad to have you here as well. We promise not to do anything weird to you. Um, the baptism, we won't uh, force baptize you. Like, the, Have you, anybody seen Nacho Libre? We were talking about this in group the other night. <laughs> um, as it was said earlier, our whole aim and goal here is to make Jesus the hero. We hope through everything we do, we're pointing to him. Not to any one person or any particular ministry in the church, but lifting up the name of Jesus and glorifying him for what he's done in human history, when he entered in to solve the, the issue of sin, the separation from God and reconciling us back to one another and back to God as well. And so we, we hope that everything that is said here today, everything that's done here today is to make much of Jesus and not any individual person. One of the ways we've been doing this through a sermon series lately, as we've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount, particularly the Beatitudes of, of Jesus, uh, we've been going through a sermon series entitled Live, where we've been looking at what it looks like to live a blessed life, or uh, I know that word's been used a lot of different ways, but like um, a flourishing life. How does God call us now to live our lives here? And we're kind of, we've moved out of the Beatitudes. Last week was the last part of the Beatitudes, and we're moving into a different part of the Sermon on the Mount, but it still greatly concerns how we are to live. And so, as we said earlier, it's going to be Matthew uh, 5, 13 through 16, uh, you know, it's been interesting as we've gone through the Sermon on the Mount, some of the things that Jesus has explored. I mean, we've seen Jesus talk about inheriting the earth, receiving the kingdom of heaven, a great reward that people will receive in heaven. And heaven and earth are kind of blended together as he's going through the blessings, almost as if what was torn apart in the fall between Adam and Eve and God is being brought together again. These two spaces, God's space and our space, are being reconciled together again. And today we pick up again, in Matthew 5, 13 through 16, you can turn there now if you have a, a Bible app on your phone. If you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles in the back of the room that you can take. That's a gift from Gospel Community Church to you. If you don't own a Bible, that's for you to take home and highlight and mark up. So you can turn there now, op open that up. In this section, we're looking to see who we are in Christ in relation to this earth, as it says in verse 13, and this world in verse 14. I was kind of hoping that when we brought up the verse earlier, um, I thought he was going to pull up the whole thing and talk about salt. Uh, it's interesting, the first part of this verse talks about salt, and, and salt is, uh, as I was preparing the sermon, salt is very fascinating. Uh, it has a lot of interesting qualities, and has served a lot of interesting purposes throughout human history. And it's, it's funny, the timing of this verse, and Rick called me to preach it, because I've recently rediscovered spam in my life. I don't know... From the last, it sounds like a couple people are familiar with spam, and I, I feel like most Americans are, but I don't know. The Pacific Northwest is a little bit more health conscious. Not a lot of you probably have spam in your closets, but if you're not familiar with spam, it's like a canned pork shoulder um, that's packaged in a little can. Uh, and an interesting property of spam is it's incredibly high in sodium. It's about 33% uh, uh, serving size, so maybe like two small slices of spam is about uh, a third of what a normal human being should eat on a given day very high in sodium content. I, I don't know why, but Nicole was at the store and I was just like, hey, would you mind picking up spam? I just had a craving. I don't know why. Maybe I was stressed out from everything that was going on this week. I had a review in Hebrew and I needed something salty. 
But uh, what I normally do with Spam is I make a, a Spam egg and cheese sandwich for, for breakfast. That's what I do with Spam. That's like the only thing I really cook with it. And between the Spam, the egg, the cheese, the butter on the bread, I mean, you're talking about half of what a normal person should eat in regards to regular sodium intake. So it's a lot of salt in that meal. Some would say that salt is a bad thing. And I'll, I'll talk about that briefly. But salt adds so much flavor to our meals. As a matter of fact, a good portion of what you make, what you eat, contains some form of salt. And if you do any kind of cooking at all, you'll know a lot of recipes call for salt. And a lot of times it's the last thing you put on a meal before you even deliver it to people. You have a meal and then you have salt. They're just like these tiny little crystals that go in and absorb all the delicious flavors of a meal and deliver it to your taste buds to say like, this, this is food. And does anybody know about Salt Bay on Instagram? I see a couple. Yes, you did the, the thing. There's a very popular Instagram, I guess you call him an influencer or something, that had a, vi a video go viral a couple years ago. And he's like a butcher. Is that what he is? Yeah. I think it's actually at a famous steakhouse in LA, but he's, he's like cutting up this steak all artistically. And, you know, the last thing he does is he pinches a thing of salt and just goes. And that's like his Instagram video. And it like blew up and everything. It was the finishing piece. It was like the last thing to kind of bring that steak together. If anyone wants to... It seems a lot of times like with a meal that something's missing without salt. Many times when Nicole fixes meals at home, that's like one of the things I'll ask is like, did you salt this yet? And sometimes she'll be like, yeah, I did, but you're probably going to put more on there. Um, <laughs> if anyone wants to throw a wet blanket on salt saying that it's unhealthy, well, yes, all right, too much of anything can be unhealthy. Too much of anything is a bad thing. But salt is, is incredibly necessary for our survival. Sodium is in our blood, our sweat, our tears. As a matter of fact, when I went through aerosol school, um, well, I say a couple years ago, I guess it's been a while now, aerosol school in the military, they say it's the, the hardest 11 days in the army. Um, it, it's pretty brutal, uh, but I did it in Georgia in August, which made it that much worse. And one of the things, I mean, they monitored how much we drank because of how much, um, just how physical the activities were. But one interesting thing was about salt is when we had our meals ready to eat at lunchtime, they, they, it was actually an instruction, a command. It was something we had to do from our instructors. They said, you need to open your salt packet and dump the entire thing into your meal. Don't skip out on the salt. It's not an option. You really need to be replacing a lot of the sodium you're, you're losing. And so salt is incredibly important. And a meal without salt, in a lot of ways, is like life without love. It's like a world without hope and light. It's like something's missing. I don't think any of us want to live a saltless life or live in a world without salt. And in all things that we maybe feel are missing in this world, those things that we've missed out on, we long for the hope of heaven where we see these all fulfilled. And all the ways in which the earth itself is groaning, the Bible talks about a groaning and a longing, that the earth is desiring reconciliation. Jesus has brought salt to this earth in desperate need of some saltiness. And that salt is you. And that's actually uh, the, the main message of today's sermon is that you are, you are the blessing to this earth. You are the salt of this earth. You're meant to be to this earth what salt is to a good meal. Think of anything that you love to do. Maybe you have one particular thing that you, you really enjoy. It could be a hobby that you love, but maybe there's something that adds to it, makes it just a little bit more special. Maybe a friend that does it with you. It adds a little something extra. Maybe you like to read. You enjoy sitting down with a good book. 
but, but when you read that book, there's like some music you like to play in the background or maybe a particular beverage you have with you while you sit down in quiet and read your book. It kind of adds and enhances the flavor of that moment. Think of marriage. Marriage is a beautiful thing where a man and woman come together committing themselves for, an, for a lifetime, growing with one another, maybe even raising, raising families. And then there's that special time where like a man and a woman come together. You know what I mean? Like this, the salt of marriage, you could say. And all the men said, amen. Yeah. Um, Jesus, Jesus is bringing salt and light to this earth through his people. Now let's see what our Lord has to say about how we bring flavor and light to this world. Follow along with me in Matthew 5, 13 through 16. Jesus says, after having concluded the Beatitudes, he moves into another section. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let's pray. God, thank you again for this time we have to come together and dive into your word. Thank you for this community that extends beyond these four walls that we're able to meet and enjoy communion with one another, whether it be just through meetings we've scheduled on our own or our gospel community groups that meet throughout the week, that we get to dive deeper into your word and explore what you have for us. I pray as we look at this passage specifically, we begin to see the calling that you've given us. Uh, the, the way in which you've called us to draw out the goodness of this earth, to glorify you through what we do and shine a light upon you uh, through our interactions with one another in the world. I pray that we would take the exhortations in this scripture uh, to heart, God, that we would uh, seek to fulfill these. And we thank you that you haven't left us to do, the, do this on our own, but you've called us to be a part of your family and equipped us for this work. We love you, God, and we thank you for this day. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Starting in verse 13, there is a lot to say about salt because of how important it is throughout human history. And, and this verse in particular has been interpreted many different ways because of all the different properties of salt. Even during Jesus' time, salt was used as a preservative. It was, it was kind of revolutionary. It was a way to keep meat from rotting and decaying. You could kind of slow down the degradation process so that meat could be stored and kept on a little bit longer. So and this passage is even oftentimes interpreted that way. I say, like, we are the salt of the earth. We're meant to be kind of a preservative. As the culture around us is dying, Christians are kind of holding back that process. Salt was a form of payment during Jesus' time. It was so valuable that uh, people were often paid in salt. As a matter of fact, that's where we get our English word salary is from the Latin, a word meaning salt. If you've ever heard the phrase, a soldier's not worth his salt, that means a soldier wasn't worth his pay. That's how valuable of a commodity it was. I've already talked about salt and how it's essential for life, so it could even be symbolic of life itself. And salt is a flavor enhancer. Many of us already know that. If we are the salt of the earth, if Jesus is saying that here in this passage, what does that mean we are to do? Considering all the different ways that salt has been used throughout human history and different purposes it can serve. I personally have a little bit, it's like a very small problem. I don't have a big pushback against it, just a little tiny one of people saying that in this passage, Jesus is talking about us being a preservative for the culture and the world at large. And there's a couple reasons. It's very close to the idea of salt being a flavor enhancer, but I think there's an important distinction. 
If it's saying we're meant to preserve, one, I don't like it because it gives this idea that the earth or the culture is just like this rotting meat that's eventually destined to just rot and become disgusting and unable to do anything with, and we're just kind of holding back the process from happening. Um, I think the New Testament, the New Testament, and I think church history has a more positive outlook upon the work of the church in the world. Speaking of the gates of hell not prevailing against the church, it seems like there's a little bit more confidence in what God's people are able to do and power through the Holy Spirit. So it seems like there should be a little bit more than just, well, the meat's going to die eventually, and we're just kind of holding it back. But number two, and this is a great lesson in Bible hermeneutics, like how do we read our Bible? In this verse, in the second clause, Jesus gives us the context. We don't have to figure it out. He's using the term salt, and it's talking about taste. If you read in verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. And Jesus specifically says, but if salt has lost its taste. So it's in the context of taste, what it's doing to the earth and how it's, how it's changing and shaping the earth, what we're doing. It's important when we read our Bibles to read in context, because oftentimes if we're curious about, well, what does he mean by salt? Because if you hear somebody say, you're salt, you go, well, what does that mean? Well, Jesus gives us the answer right there. And oftentimes when you're looking to understand these things, it helps just to read a little bit above and a little bit below. And oftentimes the answer is right there in our Bible. And it keeps us from twisting scripture and pulling it out of its context that means something that it never was intended to mean. So it's like this. Speaking of the tastiness, what we're supposed to bring to the earth. You have the earth, and it's great. It's this awesome thing that God has created. Um, but then God sprinkles some salt on it, his people he puts into the world. And they're meant to draw out the flavor of life that God originally desired to be there. All the beauty, all the goodness, all the truth that was meant to be magnified by God's people, reflecting the glory of God out into the world, is meant to be drawn out by God's people. That's what it means to be the salt of the earth. And before we get more specific on what it means to be salt or what that looks like, what does it mean of us if we don't do this? Because Jesus specifically says in this passage, you know, salt is the only rock that humans consume in raw form. If salt doesn't have its tastiness, it, it's just another rock. Can you imagine a Roman soldier being paid in, in salt, but it's, it ends up just being a bunch of white rocks? There's no saltiness to it. None of the properties of salt are there. There's nothing he can do with it. It's pretty worthless at that point. He can't go and trade it to feed his family later on. It's absolutely pointless. And he, Jesus even says in this passage, it, it could just be kind of thrown out and trampled under people's feet, just like any other rock. 1 Peter 2.5 calls us living stones that are being built up as a spiritual house. If a stone no, is no longer alive, it's no longer serving the purpose and function of building up this spiritual house. If salt has lost its saltiness, it's not a part of the house, and it's lost its value and its entire purpose. And this is a hard teaching from Jesus, because what does he say in this passage of the people who follow Jesus but don't draw out that goodness and beauty and truth that God has established on the earth? Right there, Jesus says, no longer good for anything. And that's, that, that should sting like salt in a wound for some of us. If the earth is a beautiful meal, that God has prepared for the good of his people and for his own glory. I have to confess, and maybe some of you even will with me, that sometimes I feel like the only ingredient I'm bringing to the table is dirt. It's not necessarily enhancing the meal, but many times ruining it. It's like my kids oftentimes want to come and help me in the kitchen. They even did that this morning when, you know, when I was cooking breakfast. They wanted to come in. They said, I'll help you, Daddy. 
They honestly, a lot of times have me looking around like, oh man, what is in here that they won't completely ruin that I'll have to pick up later. Um, but it, as, much, as much as I would have nothing to offer but dirt, and just like my kids would be absolutely clueless, just for context, my oldest is six. So the, as far as like cooking breakfast and preparing the kitchen, they don't really know a whole lot of what to do. As far as cluelessness, even from us, how they could actually help me, our father helps us make a difference. He hasn't just thrown us out into the world with, with no help or guidance. What I do even with my own kids is I'll spray the table, uh, maybe from the previous meal, I'll spray the table and hand them a rag and say like, here, you guys can start wiping this up. Or I'll say, grab, grab your plates. I'll give them instruction and guidance on what to do next, how they could be helping me in my work about you know, making a meal. But God is also equipping his people to do good in this world and enhance the lives of others. We're brought into the family of God through nothing but the grace of God. That's 100% true. But now that we're in, he invites us into the work of restoration. He's, he's not only saved us and reconciled him to ourselves, but he's saved us from a purposeless life. He's given us purpose and meaning and something to do. Just as I invite my children into the work of preparing a meal for the family, God has invited us into the work and what he's doing in the world. In the glorification of his name and what he's doing for the good of his people, he's called us alongside of him to help do that work. You know, and of course, as my children grow, grow older, they'll be able to do more and more and need a little less guidance as they learn. And the same should be true of us. As we mature and grow in the faith, there should be more that we're able to do as we progress in our faith and grow in greater Christ-likeness. Not to keep our place in God's family, but to show that we were a part of it all along. And I think, I want to be kind of careful, I think sometimes we cause a lot of confusion in the world when it comes to stuff like this, like being salt. Being light in the world, drawing out the goodness of life and helping others experience it as well. You see, God has communicated us, communicated to us through his word. He's given us a rag and he's sprayed the table in a sense. He hasn't just left us out on our own. We don't need to wonder and think, well, is, is murder, is rape, is stealing, is lying? Are these things bad? Like God has told us, he's communicated these truths to us. We don't need to wonder if caring for orphans and widows um, in their affliction is a good thing. He's told us, he's commanded us, hey, these are things we can do to bring salt to the earth and help people experience life and life abundantly as we've been looking through the Beatitudes. And most importantly, in all the things that we could do, the greatest thing of these is to bring the good news of the gospel so that they would be brought into the family of God as well. Look at verses 14 through 15. It talks about being the light of the world. Not to hide the light that we've been given. He says people don't place a, a light on a lamp uh, or put it under a basket, but they put it on a stand so that it could shine before others in all the house so that it could bring light to other people. Uh, what's interesting, even the song that was just sung earlier, it talks about sharing the gospel, sharing light. And light is another funny word that's used so many different ways because of its great importance in our lives. You know, it's a metaphor for truth. It helps us see. It can bring attention to something. If you say, I want to bring a light to this situation. So light is another word that could be interpreted many different ways. But again, What's interesting about the Bible, you read a little bit further, we have more context. Jesus helps us in the preceding verses to give us more clarity on what he means, more light, I guess you could say, when, when he says, we are the light of the world. In verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So what is the light? It's the good works. Doing good as an ambassador of Christ to the unbelieving world is like a spotlight on God. 
Through doing good, the world sees the glory of God manifested in the church. And, and this is interesting because this was the purpose God had originally given Israel. God gives the Israelites the commandments, and in Deuteronomy 4, 6 through 7, he gives them this charge. He tells them, now that he's given them his law, his commands, he tells his people this. Keeping my commandments will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples. And that's, that's peoples, that's not the people of Israel, or else in the Hebrew it would be ha'am, but it's amim, so it's talking about multiple people groups, so the other nations. So it's going to be our wisdom and your understanding in the sight of other nations as they observe you and observe your relationship with me and how you walk alongside me. Who, when they hear these statues, will say, this is what God's purpose for the Israelites would do. They would follow the commands and other nations would look at them and this is what they would say. Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what a great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him. Obeying God's commandments, walking with him, glorifying him, it would point others to glorify him as well as they see people live in community with one another as, as relationships are restored and this law is kind of kept. Who, who sees something like a man or woman committed to each other for over 50 years at a loving marriage and says, ugh, Christianity? You know, who, who, who see, sees two people laying down their lives for one another and says, you know, that's, this is wrong or there's something vile about this? We don't see someone caught in the life of addiction and say, oh, this is something to be sought after. You know, who are we to judge? I mean, one life is just as good as the other. Who longs for a lawless society where, there's, where those who rape, kidnap, rob, and murder are not held accountable, where there's no justice, whether, whether in this world or the world to come? The only kind of people that would think that way are either those who have been taught to think that way or those who are, who are envious of the good that God's commandments bring to individual people and nations at large. And the sad thing is, all it does is stir up bitterness, uh, all the while missing out what God has to offer people in communion with him, with his saints, with one another. God is sovereign over the salvation uh, of individuals, but he's also sovereign over the means as to how, about, how those people come about, how they, how they come to faith in Christ. And one of the biggest means to which that happens is through God's people, the lives of his people. As he sees us confessing sin, recognizing our own brokenness, striving for the goodness of God as we seek to live in community with one another. As people see these things, uh, some of the, even some of the, uh, the core values that we, we strive for in the church, the authenticity, the community, as people see this, they're pointed back to God. When we say we want to make Jesus a hero, this is the whole purpose in what we do, is not to lift up ourselves, but to any good that we do, we have to confess is God working through us, left on our own, Without, the, without God working in us, oftentimes we would seek what's not good in the world. We would destroy much of our own lives were God not working through us, helping us. So the good we do draws people to God. As we near the end of our time together, I'll, I'll close with this. A lot of this is about what we do. Being salt in the world, enhancing the, the earth itself, all the brokenness in the world, drawing out the flavor and the goodness that was meant to be there. Even the light of the world, Jesus specifically says good works. So there is some sort of command and, and desire that God would see us doing good. But I think when we, we have to be careful when we talk about doing good, because there can be a subtle confusion, as in that's what gets us into the kingdom of God, or that's what keeps us in his family. And I think verse 14, the very first clause in verse 14 is incredibly important in helping us understand this. 
In John 8, 12, Jesus identifies himself as the light of the world. He says, I'm the light of the world and those who follow him will have the light of life. If you believe that Jesus lived the perfect life that you could not live, that he went and died on the cross, a criminal's death that you deserved and was raised again, demonstrating victory over sin and death, then you are now, you are now united to Christ. You are united to Christ so that God now sees you as that perfect son. So much so that in this verse, Matthew 5, 14, Jesus identifies you with himself. In John 8, 12, he said, he is the light of the world, but who are you now in Christ? Matthew 5, 14, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. The very same light that was in Christ is now in you. The same light that Jesus shone in this, or, or shined on this dark, dark world when he set aside his crown, when he stepped into humanity and humility and served us by dying a sinner's death. We are caring about that same mission. You are the light of the world. Shining before others doesn't bring you into the kingdom. It only confirms what was true about you when you first believed in Christ. All of what Jesus calls us to in verses 13 through 16 are the blessings of being called into his family. This was the blessing that God had originally promised to Abraham. When he says that he will bless all the nations through your seed, that seed that one day would come was Jesus. This is the promise now fulfilled through the church in the world. That very same blessing is being fulfilled by all of God's people who are now bringing salt to this earth and light to those around us. Amen? You have a purpose now. God hasn't just saved you for heaven one day, but has implanted you in this world to do something for his own glory and for the good of those who are around you in and outside the church. You greatly enhance life on this earth and give glory to God through all we do. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you for so many aspects of the gospel. You've brought us into your family through nothing of our own. There wasn't any good you saw in us, but you, you sovereignly determined to draw us into your family. And we thank you for that, God. And then you've given us a purpose. You placed us in your family and gave us a role to fulfill. So much more than just, just a brick in the wall, you've, you've given us something to go and do in the world for the sake of others. And we pray that we could carry on that same serving mission of Jesus Christ. As he came and lived, I pray that we could live as he did, God. And we pray that you'd help us do this work in us, God.